Hey everybody, welcome to Renewing the Center. We're back in Luke and moving right on through into some more grown-up moments with Jesus and his cousin, John the Baptizer. So I'm going to read a shorter passage. The lectionary actually has us read a much longer passage from Luke 3, but I'm going to, just for the sake of focus and our reflection, read only verses 7 through 16 in Luke 3. So here we go. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Father, I pray that you would help us today as we march ever closer to Advent and the holiday season to consider Jesus. Pray that you would help us to listen to our Savior. I pray that you would renew us in our centers, God, that you would help us to engage wherever it is that we are, on a walk, out on a run, in our car, wherever we are, God, we pray that you would help us to engage um, with our hearts, not just our heads. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So if Jesus is the principal figure of Christmas, then it must be noted that John, the baptizer, is the principal figure of Advent. And If you're listening to this in real time or close to real time, we're just a couple of weeks out from the beginning of Advent, which is that season of watching and waiting where we look for Jesus and prepare for Jesus. Um, If you didn't grow up in the liturgical tradition, Advent may be uh, nothing more than a calendar, uh, chocolates with um, chocolates behind little doors or something like that. But Advent is a beautiful liturgical season to help us get ready. And John teaches us all about that. His message that we read in this passage, prepare the way of the Lord, rings right through the season leading up to Christmas. Advent is a time to prepare. And so now, just a couple of weeks out, uh, texts like this help give us an opportunity to shape our hearts and imagination, our um, set our intention, if you will, toward the coming of the season. It's a time where we're invited to remove the clutter, to prepare. Uh, that, that phrase, prepare the way of the Lord, is Um, a really interesting phrase. It's um, kind of like a road construction project. It's like if you've got ruts in the road, prepare. If you've got briars on the pathway, clear the briars so that the Lord can move freely to you on that pathway. So there are a few things that John says in this passage that I think are easily misunderstood and worth, therefore, consideration. Number one, he calls people a brood of vipers. And some (laughs) mean-spirited preachers have taken to calling their congregation names because of passages like this. We must remember 
who the people are who have come out to hear John's message. They are curious, and yet John calls them vipers. It's not exactly warm and encouraging. Um, John is determined in this moment to test and to challenge. John's a provocative figure. He pokes at people to see uh, why they're there. I think he's testing the motives. And it's clear from a passage like this that most of the people there were genuinely curious, drawn. But then there were others, possibly, who were just there because Jesus was the flavor of the week or who were there to try to trap him. John is poking and prodding. John is prying at the heart motivation. And it's a a challenging thing to hear. The next thing John says is, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And I love this idea. Um, The word repentance comes uh, from a Greek word, metanoia, which means to change your mind or to think about your thinking. What John is really doing here is preaching alignment. He's basically saying, if you really do want life change. If you really do want God to come near and reorder your life, then your life should begin to take on a new kind of character. He's actually calling us, God is, through John the baptizer to be the kinds of believers who are willing to bring our life into agreement with what we say we want. And y'all, this is so important. Uh, Oftentimes we give lip service to certain things, but we don't allow what we say to impact the way we live, the choices that we make. And what John is saying here is that the fruit of your life, the outcome of your life should be and is a natural byproduct of what you really care about. So if we repent, if we think about our thinking, if we confess our sin, then our lives should move in a new direction. And John has a reputation for engaging this concept. He calls people over and over again to change their minds, which would result in changed lives. And the Lord wants the same for you and for me. And the interesting thing as we move toward the Advent season is Advent is almost like a miniature Lent. It's an opportunity for us to repent, to consider the trajectory and the way of our life. Um, To prepare is to look at your life and look at your driveway, if you will, and see whether there are potholes or briar and bramble or ruts rocks in the way that need to be cleared so that God has ease of access as he comes toward us. So John's preaching alignment. And I think that that it's really important for us um, to look at our lives as an integrated whole. If you you could get into a time capsule and go back in time and if you were to find Jesus or John the baptizer on the street and ask them, how's your spiritual life? They, They would look at you with a look of puzzled confusion because The ancients, such as Jesus and John, understood that we didn't have a spiritual life. We have a life, one life, that's made up of many parts. And John is preaching integration. Uh, He's wanting you to recognize that you have one life, not not a work life and a home life, not a, a public life and a private life, not a spiritual life and a secular life, but you have one life. And he wants to see your life in integration. So why would John say the things that he says about trees being cut down? What John is saying is that if a tree, a life is not fruitful, it's just taking up space. And the reality here is that John's not being mean. He's not saying um, God's about to cut all of you down. He's saying if you have no intention of bearing godly fruit, you're just taking up space. Now, what I know is that we all go through seasons where our desire wanes, where we don't feel a lot of energy around making great choices or making a lot of progress. 
But what God is saying here is not be careful about having a bad day or even a bad season. What he's saying is, is if your life is a life where you generally want to make progress, you want to bear fruit, you want to see the good things of God come out of you, then the Lord is going to do that work in you. But if you have no interest, then what are you doing? What are you here for? So I think it's important for us not to hear that in a um, superstitious or a hyperbolic way. John is basically saying, if you don't care, then you're not bearing fruit. He's not saying if you have or are running into a difficult season, you're in, you're in trouble. You should wake up every morning being afraid. And, and here's the evidence for the truth of that. To those provocative statements, uh, three groups ask a question. They all ask the same question. What then should we do? So I want us to sit with these three groups so that we can hear the response. Um, and that there were people who are far from perfect who were responding to the message. Probably very people very similar to you and me. So first off, the crowd asks, what then should we do? And John says to the crowd, so to the big group, he says, whoever has two coats should share. And if you have food, you should share. So what is John saying to the crowds? So the crowds are asking, how do I respond? Like you're telling me to bear fruit. How do I respond? You're telling me to not just take up space. How do I respond? You're telling me to be integrated. How, how do I respond to that? They're asking how. And John basically says, reject self-preservation. He says, don't hoard don't just look to your own needs. Look up and look out. Trust me with your life and be willing to give to others. And I think that's so important for all of us as we seek to be integrated people, as we seek to bear fruit. Um, the Lord says, I want you to trust me enough to not just look out for your own self all the time. I want you to look up and look out. And sometimes just choosing to see the needs of others and to move toward those needs is a way for us to say, God, I trust you with my own life. So many of us, so much of the time, we live our lives with our heads down. We tend to our own needs and we think, I don't have enough for other people. And God, through our brother John, says, I want you to look around. I want you to trust me enough with your own life to actually notice what's going on around you. Now, for some of you, that might be noticing a need in the person that you share a bed with. It might be noticing a need in a child or a parent or a friend. It might be just noticing the people right around you and think, what, what do they need? Where are they lacking? And how might God use you to meet that need, to speak to that need? So basically to the crowds, John's saying, don't be selfish. Don't fall into self-preservation and selfishness because it's a trap. It was a trap then and it's a trap now. Now, the text says tax collectors, that they ask the same question. What then should we do? Actually, the text says even tax collectors came to be baptized. And that's just like Luke's way of saying Jews hated tax collectors. Um, tax collectors were oftentimes Jewish people who were colluding with the Roman government to collect taxes from other Jewish people. And oftentimes they would get rich in the process. And people in this job were viewed as unpatriotic not Jewish. They were objects of scorn and they are now coming. So here y'all hear this. These are bad guys in the minds of the Jews. And yet they are saying, what should we do? So John's not saying only perfect people are welcomed. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's not saying if you don't have your act together, God's going to cut you down. 
he's speaking to all kinds of people and some pretty bad folks are saying, what should we do? And it's interesting that John doesn't say, quit your job and be quit being such a wretched human. He actually says, be fair, be even handed and resist greed and don't take more than you're owed. So he's telling people who actually have objectively bad jobs, be people of integrity within that hard job. He doesn't tell them that they're beyond redemption. He doesn't tell them that they're beyond saving. He doesn't tell them that they have to quit and do something more holy. He just says, I want you to be fair and even-handed within your vocational space. Resist greed. Which is sort of like, don't be selfish. Don't fall victim to self-preservation, which is what he said to the crowds. But it's a little more pointed. Don't be greedy. And then the third group, soldiers, they ask the exact same question. They say, what should we do? Y'all soldiers had a terrible reputation among the Jews. They were employed as enforcers for the tax collectors. So they were like the thugs or the bullies working for tax collectors. And they weren't paid well. And so they would resort to bullying and extortion. And John just basically says, in your hard job, don't bully and don't extort. Don't coerce people by using your power and your strength and your position. So what is John really saying? And what is he maybe saying? What is God saying through John to us? I think he's telling us to resist our occupational hazards. He's saying be aware of what they are. And every one of us, whether it's through your personality or your actual job, all of us have limitations. We have pitfalls that are potentially in front of us. And it's interesting to me that John doesn't say escape the world. He says know where the pitfalls are and the pitfalls are. Know where the trouble is in your job, in your temperament, in your personality. And I want you to be righteous, integrated within those spaces. So what are your occupational hazards? What behaviors or practices are you tempted to engage in when you're feeling pressure or frustration at work, at school, in your home, in your friendships? <clears throat> Excuse me. We're called to be honorable even in the midst of our real current life. God's not asking you, mostly not asking you to quit what you're doing and do something else. Oftentimes he's saying, I want you to think about how to be who you're meant to be right where you are. So maybe you're in a hard relationship. Maybe you're at a hard season in your family. Maybe you have a job that's bringing out the worst in you. What does it look like for you to bear fruit within the space that you're currently in, even if you're hoping for a new situation, a new day, a new chapter? I think it's very interesting to me that most of the growth that I've experienced in my life was when I recognized I was in a hard spot and I asked God to help me grow where I was, even if I was hoping to be in a new spot later on, a new season in life. God wants to grow you where you are. And it's fascinating to me that when John challenges the crowds, and we know about three groups, there were probably other groups, the crowd has a really interesting reaction to John. They, they begin to think he's the Messiah. They're like, you might be the one. And I find it interesting that John, who earlier in the first six verses of this chapter was saying, my message is to prepare the way. He doesn't accept a promotion here. He doesn't step into Jesus's place. He basically says, no, I'm just here to prepare the way. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming and I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And I just love the fact that John is moving in the direction of preparing the way for Jesus. And as we move 
closer and closer to Advent, which is closer and closer to Christmas, it's important for us to recognize that God is asking us to prepare the way to make our hearts and our lives ready to receive Jesus for who he is and the way that he comes. And the way that he comes in the Christmas story is as a small child. He doesn't come taking up tons and tons of space on the front end. He comes needing and longing for us to have the eyes to see him, to recognize his work, even when his work seems small, vulnerable, maybe even fragile at first. So my prayer for you is that you would have eyes to see. It's also the prayer I'm praying for myself. God bless you. See you soon.